This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, Jolt Cola, the original caffeine energy drink. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. Happy to have you here. Today we're looking at, if you grew up in the 80s or around that time period, the infamous Jolt Cola. So looking back on this whole uh, kind of had this mythology to it almost if you grew up at the time. Uh, and we'll look at everything, like how it was created, where it came from, what was actually in it, how it compared to other energy drinks, all that good stuff. Before we start, if you haven't already, if you want to, go ahead and subscribe just so you get these podcasts sent to you automatically. You can find me pretty much everywhere you can get podcasts these days. I think I've hooked it all up. Okay, let's get right into this. So before there was Monster, before there was Red Bull, there was a hardcore cola that was the go-to for getting the ultimate jolt of caffeine. Jolt Cola was created... By C.J. Rapp, here's a quick overview, created in 1985, was meant to target younger people, students, young professionals, became a bit of an underground sensation uh, in that it had double the caffeine compared to other cola and soft drinks. So to me, just, you know, looking back from my own perspective, Joe Cola almost bordered on urban legend. And we knew of it growing up in the 80s, but it wasn't readily available. There was kind of a stigma associated to it. And I honestly think I was probably... Even if I could get it, I was probably too afraid to even try it. I remember hearing one story of a kid's friend trying it, and he was going nuts for the next six hours because of the caffeine content. There's, the again, the story that a kid died by drinking it from the caffeine overdose. And we had no idea what was going on here. To us, this was like a rocket fuel that could potentially stop your heart. But turns out it had less caffeine than an espresso. But not only were we idiot kids in the 80s, there was no way to ever fact check anything. There was no way to know what was real, what wasn't real. We thought wrestling was real after all, so there was no way to tell here. Either way, Jolt Cola can be considered the original energy drink, and it got a bit of a reputation in the same way, say something like Four Loco would later on. The cool thing with Jolt Cola was they weren't trying to hide what they were all about in that you know pre-internet age. It had some of the best word of mouth ever, and you can't beat that kind of advertising, especially for a product in the 80s. So with all the sugar and twice the caffeine, that was the actual slogan. Here's the whole story of Jolt Cola. Starts out in 1985, which to me is the pinnacle year of the 80s. Not only does it exist smack dab in the middle, but it brought us amazing things. Back to the Future, the original Nintendo came out, the Casio keyboard, the Cabbage Patch Kids, the Breakfast Club was released that year, the Goonies, the very first WrestleMania, Transformers started, even toys like Teddy Ruxpin. I could stop there, we could go on forever, but to me it's the pinnacle year of the decade. Cola-wise, it's an important year because it was the introduction of the infamous new Coke. 
and I did a whole podcast on that. I definitely recommend listening to that. It's one of the most fascinating marketing stories in history. So check that out. So also with New Coke, we had another cola, Jolt Cola. Jolt Cola was created by the Jolt Company Incorporated. That would later become Wet Planet Beverages, which is the greatest name ever. They were based out of Rochester, New York, and the main guy behind it of creating this beverage was CJ Rapp, also one of the best names ever. Rapp, R-A-P-P, was a sociology major at SUNY uh, Potsdam, and he noticed something while going to school there. As is the case, college students spend most of their days sleeping, doing keg stands at night, missing class, and then panicking and cramming all-nighters for their exams. Just pretty standard. He noticed that his fellow co-eds were concocting their own beverages in order to stay awake and study, complete term papers, complete research uh, projects, look for blood banks to sell their blood for food and rent, you know, the usual student stuff. Then he had his light bulb moment. So if you've brushed up on your cola knowledge or familiar, the mid-80s were a time of change and Coke and Pepsi were trying to cut back on things. Diet Coke had been introduced in 1983 and people were starting to be more aware of things like sugar and calories. We're not into the mess of the high fructose corn syrup phase yet, but people were starting to understand they were basically drinking a carbonated chocolate bar when it came to the sugar content. Again, check out new the, the, everything to do with New Coke, but it's just the point with New Coke is when Coca-Cola completely changed their formula to offer a sweeter version. They did this because Diet Coke and Diet Colas in general were really catching on and they had a bit of a sweeter taste due to the aspartame and the chemical sweeteners they used in them. So since these were so, uh, you know, becoming more popular and they were trying to capitalize on the people's preference for that new sweeter taste, new Coke was made to try and make it taste like a diet cola, but still have sugar and everything into it. And ultimately diet, diet colas were starting to take over the entire landscape. So since these, Beverage companies were promoting, promoting the idea of less is better. Beer companies as well, too. That whole, You remember, taste great, less filling, that whole thing. Rap wanted to take things the other way. Instead of saying it had fewer calories or sugar or caffeine, Rap wanted to go with twice as much, specifically the caffeine. He wanted to have a carbonated cola with twice the caffeine of regular ones, as he knew students were going to be all over this. Some people just don't care about sugar or calories or caffeine, they just want to know it's got more and more is better. So that leads them to creating Jolt Cola. So again, with the plan to keep all the sugar and have twice of the caffeine, this was going to be branded right onto the can and be right in your face. And it would last there for 24 years. The problem was they were legally limited to only having 72 milligrams of caffeine per can, which is the maximum amount allowed by the Food and Drug Administration. This is interesting, and I'm not sure why colas were limited on caffeine content. If you think how much uh, is in a giant Starbucks drink or Monster Energy drinks, it's kind of confusing. I think the caffeine regulation has changed, or it's more the fact that colas are still kids' drinks. But, you know, a barista can refuse to serve an 11-year-old, but nothing can stop them from buying one out of a machine. So it's hard to know where sort of the mindset was with all of this. The intention with Jolt Cola was to make a big mark on the soft drink industry. They wanted to call out the wimpy tasting colas and keep going against the health and wellness movement growing through the country. 
It would take six years of development, but they would introduce it nationally through franchise bottlers and distributors. They even worked out a special promotions with Bloomingdale's of all places that would sell the drink in their delicatessen. They would spend a million dollars on the introductory advertising, which was very, very low then for a soft drink manufacturer, but it was a lot for a very small company and converted for today, that's around $2.3 million. So they would roll out TV campaigns and all their advertising in the fall of 1986, but they knew and you know, to their credit, there was no way to compete against Coke and Pepsi. So to stand out, they tried to make themselves as the unhealthy bad boy of cola. And I had found an article from the New York times in August, uh, from August, 1986, and it made mention how much health experts hated this drink. The Nutrition Action Health Letter, which was a publication for the Center for Science and the Public Interest, would dismiss Jolt Cola as being unhealthy due to the high caffeine content. They said that, quote, rap should be nominated for personal niche in the Nutrition Hall of Fame, unquote. Pretty <laughs> shots fired by the uh, Nutrition Action Health Letter. You know, with all the other crap going on out there, they, they go after Jolt Cola. So what actually makes up Jolt Cola? Caffeine-wise, it would have around 5.9 milligrams per fluid ounce, which sneaks it just under that maximum 6 mil- milligrams per ounce allowed by the Food and Drug Administration. This is still half of the caffeine content per ounce in coffee, which is around 11.5 milligrams. Again, depending on the freshness, how it's brewed, all that sort of thing. This is the thing, as much as everyone thought that this was basically uh, speed in a can, here's how it stacks up um, to the caffeine content in other beverages. So a regular can of Coke has around 35 milligrams of caffeine. Diet Coke, around 45.6 milligrams. Just a cup of tea, like a regular average cup of tea is 40 to 60 milligrams. An eight ounce regular brewed coffee, around 95 milligrams of caffeine. An espresso shot, anywhere from 80 to 90 the 250 milliliter can of Red Bull, around 80. A five-hour energy shot, around 100 milligrams. A regular size Monster, 140 milligrams. A Starbucks Espresso Macchiato, 150 milligrams. And the insane Starbucks Blonde Roast Venti, the 20-ounce, 475 milligrams of caffeine. So Jolt Cola's sugar content was only slightly above all the other top colas. But the big difference in, in this ingredient what made up Jolt Cola was they used cane sugar. The mid-80s was the era where high fructose corn syrup would be introduced into many more products. Obviously, uh, high fructose corn syrup is derived from corn, and this made it much cheaper than cane sugar. There was a lot of rising costs and tariffs on, on things like cane sugar, but high fructose corn syrup was ridiculously cheap to produce and it could be made sort of in-house in the country. You could grow your own corn. You can make that way. Actually, 80% of all corn grown is not even for uh, human consumption. Uh, sorry, like regular eating corn on the cob or in cans, like 80% of it is for different manufacturing purposes. One being high fructose corn syrup. The other reason with uh, the use of high fructose corn syrup is it leads to less spoiling and drinks could stay on shelves longer. It almost acts like a preservative because it's such an unnatural ingredient. The massive reduction in cost was the reason you start to see drink sizes getting so big going in later into the 80s. 
manufacturers could now give consumers more value, but basically keep their costs the same because these drinks were costing them basically nothing, you know, pennies to increase the size of. The problem is, and just going off on a health side tangent here, and that that's my real profession is I work in health and fitness and nutrition. High fructose corn syrup is borderline poison. Fructose can go straight to your liver and cause what they, they call non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome, along with you know obesity, diabetes, all that sort of thing. It's not that these are, are direct causes, but with the advent of high fructose corn syrup and the higher use of things like trans fats and these things that were created and more prominent in the 80s, you see the obesity problem start to skyrocket at the exact same time. So cane sugar is not necessarily better, but it's a better option over high fructose corn syrup. It's kind of like one cigarette is better than five cigarettes. You know, it's not great, but it's not doing as much damage. It's still liquid sugar. It causes a massive spike in blood sugar and an insulin release. And it's, um, you know, it it can lead to um, eventually down the road, you know, the the type two diabetes and, and burnout by the pancreas and all that sort of thing. But funny enough, cane sugar is what drink manufacturers have gone back to in recent years to make a more like natural product. They're like, it's made with real cane sugar. And everyone's like, all of a sudden like, oh, that's a health drink pretty much. Ultimately, Jolt Cola's calorie content would be the same as other colas at around 170 calories. And, you know, they got their cane sugar from Louisiana so they could have that sort of pride that it's a, you know, homegrown manufactured product. So let's look at the expectations surrounding Jolt Cola when they were releasing it. The company's goal was to get around 2% share of the market uh, where it was available and ideally get 4% as their ultimate like dream goal. Soft drink industry observers recognized that the chances for them to make a dent in the market were slim. Others thought it didn't have a chance at all. This is a quote from Beverage Digest, which is a real industry newsletter, which I'd love to subscribe to now. I don't know if it exists. They said that, quote, Anything can explode, but I wouldn't bet a lot of money on this one. Consumers are health conscious, and an inordinate amount of caffeine is going to affect the perceptions of the drink and the reality of what the body can take notwithstanding, unquote. They also thought it would never, Beverage Digest also thought it would never get a national identity, and Jolt Cola would maybe last three to five years max. So Beverage (laughs) Beverage Digest um, missed that one. A big time. Jolt Cola continues to be around to this day. And I wouldn't be so quick to assume consumers are health conscious because they sure as hell are not. Let's point out a few classics over the years that have been monster hits. Uh, McDonald's Pizza, the KFC Double Down, the Cronut, Twinkies, Root Beer Floats, the Dairy Queen Blizzard, the Burger King Triple Whopper, everything on the McDonald's dollar menu, Starbucks White Chocolate Mocha, every 80s breakfast cereal ever. Um, And what are the four main things that are purchased in grocery stores? It is milk, soda, beer, and potato chips. People are not as health conscious as these industries would, you know, I'd like them to be or make them out to be. So Jolt Cola came out to some pretty huge publicity. And this was kind of a, you know, even bad publicity is good publicity situation. And when it was first released, it was available right away in only 22 states. They would soon franchise agreements to be in 40 states and then in Canada. The marketing worked well, and it didn't take long for everyone to become aware of Jolt Cola. 
go on to YouTube and check out some of, just go in and type in Jolt Cola advertisements and specifically from 1987 and check out the commercials they were doing at the time. It like pretty risk, like even for today, these would be borderline, but in the eighties, they were just like, screw it. We're going all for it and, and just trying to entice people. Um, yeah, kind of shocking. As predicted, the biggest consumers would be college students and younger people, and Jolt Cola eventually made its way into the bars. You could order, I don't know if you ever remember this, it's called a jumper cable, which was rum mixed with Jolt Cola. All of this helped to give Jolt Cola some really high visibility, and references to it were made on shows like David Letterman, Good Morning America, CNN, there's even a, um, I found, again, this is on YouTube uh, from 1987. And <laughs> just type in Jolt Cola and Cavities. And there's this hilarious, like, real news feature talking about the problem um, people should be looking out for, <laughs> specifically with Jolt Cola, though it was, you know, formula-wise and besides the caffeine and the sugar, was the same as any other soft drink out there, but they went right after Jolt Cola. So here's the future of Jolt Cola. In 1987... They gave in and they started offering a low calorie version called, don't know if you remember this, Jolt 25, which only had 25 calories. And then here's something I totally forgot about until researching this. Do you remember Jolt gum? I, now I can now specifically remember these in variety stores and stuff. This came about because they licensed the name in 2003 to a company called Gum Runners in New Jersey, and they would put out a line of caffeinated gum and mints. These would have the Jolt logo on it with the slogan, Chew More, Do More. Perfect. In 2005, Jolt would switch things up and introduce the battery bottles, which you saw more companies doing, you know, those big battery-shaped bottles. And they would start adding in some new flavors. They added Blue Raspberry. They had Cherry Bomb. They had Silver. They had Wild Grape. They had Orange Blast. They had Passion Fruit. Then they put out Ultra, which was a kind of diet drink version with Splenda, um, Goranic, ginseng, taurine, some vitamin B, basically Red Bull, um, what that would become. In 2009, the Jolt Cola Company would file for bankruptcy due to disputes with their supplier over pricing for those new distinctive battery bottle shapes. They would then rebrand as Jolt Energy, and in 2017, Jolt Cola returned to the dollar store and would now be produced by ECC Jolt LCC based out of New York. We'll start winding it down here. And, you know, Joe Cola obviously made a big dent in the market and made a big impression. And it's my favorite usage is if you remember in the original Jurassic Park with um, Nedry, the great Wayne Knight sitting in his computer terminal as he's trying to take down the entire Jurassic Park. He's drinking a can of Joe Cola. I think that's the best pop culture use of it. But it's this is really the story of how word of mouth and being a bit of an underground phenomenon and a bit of like, you know, kind of the, the bad boy of, of that industry can create a cultural identity and a real persona. Jolt existed like that to me specifically and to, you know, most kids in the eighties and it had a bit of a mythical association to it. It's not that it was dangerous, but it just had that attachment to it. And that just is kind of intriguing. This was actually also at the core of the success of Red Bull and the direction they wanted to go in. And I don't know if they took a cue from Jolt Cola, but I mean, it maybe played in. Red Bull wanted to be that same thing. They wanted to be an underground drink. They wanted to be have a stigma attached to it, that it wasn't um, 
you know, commonplace and it shouldn't be for everyone necessarily. And they didn't want to be associated with, um, you know, they didn't want to be marketing with athletes and they didn't want to be like a Gatorade and stuff. And they actually refused to do anything with pro athletes who some were actually approaching them. Shaquille O'Neal was the best example. He loved Red Bull and wanted to be a spokesman for it. And I, he didn't even want his normal rate. They, they didn't want anything to do with that sort of side of marketing. They wanted to be the underground sort of bad boys. And it really worked because Red Bull is one of the, you know, the most famous brand drink brands in the world. And again, sort of Jolt Cola paved the way for that approach. Despite all the people betting against it, when when you're in a, like a niche market, there's always a way to to make it work out and to find an audience. You know, when it comes to being a soft drink, that's the thing. Like a soft drink is 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 really a, a treat, and people always want to give themselves a reward of something, whether it's candy or junk food or whatever, or like the soda or cola. And and that's the way they were able to beat the odds and to stay in the mix for more than three decades. It's just something people, you know, it's not good for you. It's like McDonald's, you know, it's not good for you, but you're still going to go for the odd time. You're like, ah, whatever, I deserve it. And that was the approach they wanted to take. And then at the same time, creating this little bit of stigma and this little intrigue, if you're walking into a variety store and you're looking on the shelves and you see a diet Coke and a regular Pepsi and whatever, and a Jolt Cola, you're going to be aware of the Jolt Cola and you might at some point be tempted to buy it. And that's what they were looking for. They didn't want to take over the whole cola market. They just wanted that, you know, that buy from that odd person and be like, mm, I'm going to try that because I've heard of it or just to see what it's like. And that's going to make that den and get you that, you know, two to 4% of the market share. Okay, that's Jolt Cola. Hopefully you like that and you remember this classic beverage and go have a look for it. Again, I don't know if it's still in the dollar stores or I remember seeing them. I'm not sure what the status is at the moment. But thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you liked it. If you really like it, go on and subscribe, throw it a rating and review if you really want. Either way, I'm fine. Thanks for listening. I'll see you very soon. Bye.